Welcome, dear listener, and thank you for joining me for this special Halloween edition of Dead Hand Radio. I'm your host, Andrew Hall. What we're about to embark on throughout these coming days leading up to Halloween is a series of interviews with people from all walks of life who've experienced some of the most harrowing, spine-chilling tales you've ever heard. We're talking ghost stories, haunted buildings, cursed lands, myths, legends, and lore, the likes of which many have never heard before. Some of my guests are new, most are returning visitors of the show, and have agreed to share with us, in some cases for the first time ever, their personal experiences of unexplained and hair-raising stories from beyond the veil. Consider this your final warning. Those who choose to proceed may have their sanity challenged, question reality, or lose their mind with fear from these tales of the unknown and unexplained. And now, the Dead Hand Radio Halloween Special. Hey, this is Jeremy McGowan, and you're listening to Dead Hand Radio. All right, hey, Jeremy, welcome back to Dead Hand Radio, and thanks for joining me for this special Halloween edition of the podcast. Andrew, it's it's a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you reaching out to me again. The uh, the first time I was on the uh, the podcast with you, it was it was pretty epic, and we uh, we discussed a lot of stuff. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting away from what we were talking about and getting a little bit more into the uh, the spooky side of life. Awesome. Um, yeah, incidentally. Your episode is still the most popular episode in my uh, library. Really? Yeah, that's that's incredible. Because when I was when I was on with uh, with Ryan on the Somewhere in the Skies podcast, he he had said pretty much a a similar thing that uh, I believe he said that my episode was the most downloaded one that he'd had. So apparently, there's there's something that I got that resonates with with people. Yeah. Well, it's it's a really compelling story uh i would say legitimacy because of your background Hmm. you know and you're obviously a believable person so yeah it resonates with people i i appreciate that man it's uh it was a long road for me to to get to the level of comfort that i am now and actually talking about it and uh you know, I believe I, I gave credit to uh, to Lou and the production team the first time that you and I spoke. But uh, if it hadn't have been for them, I'd still be sitting on this. I'm glad that they are doing what they are doing for more reasons than helping you. But uh, I, I do think what they're doing is helping a lot of people to be able to share their stories and be comfortable, more comfortable with their experiences. Uh, that's that's just a, a, a good service to humanity in itself right there. 
Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're definitely changing the dynamics of the conversation and they're pushing a very significant, uh, well, let's just call it what it is. It's a paradigm shift in the way that government approaches this phenomena. Yes. Agreed. So last time you were on dead hand radio, we talked about your experience in the desert and what you witnessed. It's a fascinating story. You shared it a couple of times, so we're not going to rehash that. Yeah. But since, since that episode, uh, you have had a couple of things transpire that are very interesting. Would you like to share some of that? Well, thanks to you uh, and, and your mention of Skyhub, I have been in deep conversations with, uh, with those guys. And I, I have to be a little careful in, in saying what's going on and, and where we're going with this. But uh, I've been able to introduce Skyhub to uh, another individual that's building uh, similar sensor stacks, but on a remote platform, uh, as well as help facilitate a conversation between Skyhub and TTSA. And things are going extremely well on that front. And uh, the more I dig into Skyhub and the more I dig into their software platform that uh, controls everything, the more I think that this is, this is going to be the technology that really helps drive disclosure and, uh, and getting TTSA involved with them uh, is, is going to fast track everything. Uh, the guys are, are very capable of doing it by themselves, but uh, never ride solo when you've got backup. And I think that's exactly what they're doing here. And, uh, and things are, things are going to be, things are going to be more accessible to the public in a way that the public has never had access to it before. And to be able to help in mass identify, track, collect, analyze, uh, UAP information, data, uh, experiences. That's great. Uh, and it sounds like those two worlds were kind of meant to be connected and what comes out of it is going to be very interesting for anybody who's following along. Absolutely. So, so you happen to be, uh, uh, kind of in the middle of that whole thing. Aren't you building your own stack as well? Not my own stack. I am going to be building my own Skyhub. So Skyhub themselves, they don't necessarily sell the hardware. Uh, they don't sell the enclosures, but they open source everything, including the STL files for 3D printing of the enclosures. And they put together shopping lists with links on where to get the, uh, the sensor tech, the items, the antennas, the wiring, the routers, and everything necessary to put a Skyhub together. And then they provide the software for it. So the entire recipe, all the secret sauce, the magic is contained on their website. And they will guide you through the entire process of building one of these units. So you own the unit, you build the unit, you bought it, uh, whatever you want to do with it is yours, but your unit is going to be uploading data to their collective AI that is going to categorize and analyze and, and hopefully identify or compartmentalize what it is that your unit gets a chance to see. Nice. Nice. Um, 
<clears throat> and you also are a little bit of a uh, explorer in that you like to go out in the desert and do some sky watching on your own, even without the sky hub, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I got into astrophotography. Oh, probably about 10 years or so ago. I bought my first DSLR, which was an entry level Nikon. I think it's a D 5,300 and then uh, ended up getting a, a decent amount of uh, glass for it, lenses uh, for the camera. And then soon after discovering that I absolutely sucked at taking portraits and pictures of people, uh, I decided that I would point the lens upwards and, and take some, uh, some images of the sky and, and uh, kind of learned and taught myself how to do astrophotography. So quite often I, I, I live in Las Vegas and, you know, I'm 150 miles away from the back gate of area 51. I'm about a hundred miles away from death Valley and, and uh, all sorts of very interesting flatlands with, with great uh, mountains in the backdrop uh, that lends itself very, very well to astrophotography. So I ended up buying a very old Land Rover, a Discovery 2, and I've been retrofitting it and, and fixing the suspension and turning it into an overlanding vehicle so I can head out in the desert and, and get out there and see, what's, uh, see what shows itself in the night sky. Nice. Yeah. Uh, that's a, another interest that you and I share. I do a lot of photography and m most of my photography is desert. Uh, I've tried astrophotography. It is exceedingly difficult to get good exposure. Uh, you have to do that a lot to get good at yeah. it. Well, it, it's not just practice, but it's also a combination of, you know, you can, you can take a portrait if you're a good photographer, you can take a portrait with almost any type of lens. It's just knowing how to compose the shot. With astrophotography, it is a requirement to have very specific lenses, very fast lenses, very uh, lenses that have very low uh, distortion and, and things like that on it. So I'm, I'm kind of evolving into understanding post-processing and the ability to stack the photos in uh, Photoshop or Lightroom and, and be able to pull out the data that I was not good enough to, uh, to make sure that the camera caught on the first pass. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I've only tried it a handful of times. Some of what I've captured has been okay. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, like I, I enjoy going out and shooting landscapes uh, wildlife, things like that. Um, you know, and I'll go light hunting as well. You know, I'll go out in the early morning hours and capture some of the, some of the early, the first light that comes, yeah. comes up over the horizon or catch the last light that's going down for the evening. Uh, I've done some shots of the moon, which is really cool, but yeah. I found out that that ruins your sensor. You, yeah. If you shoot too many shots of the moon, really such a yeah it puts little hot spots on your sensor and i've had to replace a sensor already which is, oh wow yeah it's a bummer um so i don't shoot the moon or the sun anymore which bums me out because i i took some pretty cool pictures of the moon especially um eclipses right yeah but the uh the, the astrophotography that's that's something that I, I should probably 
start to explore a little bit more. And maybe you and I could go out and do some of that together sometime. Yeah. Well, let me get a little bit more suspension tweaking done on this Land Rover and uh, let's uh, let's head out into the, the desert and see what we can find. Man. Yeah, for sure. My wife's interested in that kind of stuff. She doesn't sh- do much shooting herself, but uh, she loves to go with me and hang out and watch my back, make sure that there's no weird creatures, you know, coming up on me while we're out there in the middle of nowhere. Hey, well, just uh, just don't do any photography on Skinwalker, and I think you'll be okay with the weird creatures. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, you had told me, and I don't know if this is top secret or if you could share anything about it, but you have told me that you got something that's cooking with Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, so I'm going to be very careful in attributing information to anybody specific or mentioning any specific groups, and I'll just... I don't want your your listeners to think that I am egotistical and self-centered. I'm going to make this revolve around me, but it's only because I don't yet have permission to mention the others involved. Uh, so it's it's not that I am singularly championing this this whole thing or putting it all together. There are multiple others involved. I just don't yet have their their permission to to, uh, to discuss it. But it appears as if. Uh, I will be heading to Skinwalker Ranch, hopefully by the end of this year, if not uh, early next year. And in doing so, I will be uh, accompanying uh, some rather high-grade scientific measurement equipment that uh, will be aimed towards everything from uh, RF readings and not just looking at a needle on a tri-field meter, but I mean doing full multi-spectral imaging from uh, gamma through visible to, uh, to everything else, uh, looking at uh, mobile uh, GPDR, ground penetrating radar, uh, ev- everything contained in a, in a mobile platform uh, throughout Skinwalker. Uh, I personally have not spoken with Brandon himself, but I've been told that uh, the invitation is there uh, as soon as the technology is ready. And, uh, and that I have a, a seat to, uh, to go witness or, or be uh, a participant in, in this. It's, it's something that hasn't yet been done on Skinwalker. And it's not something that uh, has even really been touched on on the uh, TV shows that, uh, that have been put out on Skinwalker. This is, this is a truly unique uh, form of a sensor stack that uh, that is being developed and it's being developed almost for skinwalker but uh, but not quite well that's um that kind of makes sense because i was just having a conversation with another another guest and um i told him that uh this is this is my own knowledge so i may or may not be correct but Skinwalker Ranch, if you want to experience anything within the spectrum of paranormal, Skinwalker Ranch is the place to go because you'll have cryptozoological creatures, you'll have paranormal activity, you'll have UFOs, you'll have portals that open up out of nowhere and allow a view into a different world yep 
So it, it just covers the whole spectrum of weird. And it's, if you're going to develop something that, that is like the, the perfect proving grounds for any kind of technology that's going to be used in the hunt for any of these different um, areas of interest, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, as soon as I was told that I have the ability to go to Skinwalker and participate in this study, I started doing a really, really deep dive in, into that, uh, that property. And I've spoken with some people who have worked there. I've spoken with some people who have visited there. Um, I'm not going to name any names because again, I don't have their direct permission uh, to do so, but what you see on TV uh, with the, uh, the TV show that Brandon Flugel and, and his guys put out uh, with Travis Taylor, the astrophysicist, and that's probably 10% of what goes on there. And uh, some of the things that I have heard occur from multiple sources that did not know that I was speaking to both source A and source, source B, who both said uh, primarily the exact same thing. It, it's mind blowing as to what happens on that. And some of this is, is witness testimony that goes back to when uh, Robert Bigelow owned the property and things that actually occurred uh, during the time that, uh, that Robert was, was in charge of Skinwalker. And it's just, it's mind blowing to hear the same stories from different people who were there uh, and, and not realizing that I'm speaking to both of them. It's the collaboration or not the collaboration, but the, uh, the comparison of facts. Corro corroboration. Corroboration. Yes. That's the word I'm looking for. My coffee hasn't kicked in, but the corroboration of facts from both sides was just incredible. Uh, yeah, it, I, I have to say, sometimes I repeat myself, like, I, I hope people don't get like irritated because I repeat myself so many times, but I, I talking to multiple people in sequence about similar topics and I have little tidbits of information that I want to share with each of these, uh, each of the guests. So, um, the, the book skinwalker hunt for the skinwalker written by george knapp and comb kelleher george mm. knapp is a local reporter here in las vegas and comb kelleher was a member of the the nids team that investigated um the ranch under bob bigelow mm -hmm. they wrote the book hunt for the skinwalker which was later turned into a movie by jeremy corbell but i read that book and that book is one of the the most important books that I've read uh, in relation to the, these topics because it really opened my mind to accepting the possibility that this stuff is real. It's not imagination. It's not made up fairy tales, but there is something going on within our world that is not understood. Scientists have witnessed it and can't figure it out and it's still ongoing. Yeah. So that, that was one of the key um, ingredients in my own uh, evolution of this topic. Have you read the book yourself? No, I, 
I am very, very lacking in recent reading. Uh, for the past seven years, my reading is slowly evolving from Sea Spot Run to Disney Princess books to uh, now I think I'm on Harry Potter because of my seven-year-old daughter. So uh, prior to seven years ago, I was an avid reader. I still am. It's just that the words are shorter. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I am a slow reader. That book, I could not put down. Um, and when I did finish reading that book, uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to buy a copy because I probably need to reread that book. But I recommended it to everybody I know. Uh, skeptics, believers, experiencers, you name it. I suggested everybody read that book. Um, cause it opened my mind, you know, it's, it was so important in my journey in this, in this area, in this area of interest. Um, but a lot of the people that were involved in the NIDS program are now involved in the TTSA program as well. Mm. Uh, I think, um, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go off on that rabbit trail because you say you didn't want to name names, but um, can you share some of the stories that you did here that were corroborated by other witnesses? They're uh, <clears throat> back in the day of, of Bigelow. And because I haven't read the book, I got to be honest. This may have been something that came from the book that both of the people that I spoke to pulled out of the book. Um, if it's not in the book, that validates it even more. But sure. uh, let me know if what I am saying to you is something that comes from the book, and then I can go back and, and re-criticize the information that I was given. Um, there were instances during Bigelow's time, and I think everybody pretty much saw on the TV shows where they had the, uh, the single lane corral that they would put cattle in. And at the end of the corral was a, uh, was a little barn of, of sorts, but it was a, uh, it was a smaller barn that had a hayloft in the top of it. Uh, the, the stalls and everything for the cows would obviously be on the ground level because cows can't walk upstairs. Um, but there were a couple instances when things would go sideways on the ranch and cattle would be missing. And when they went to look for the cattle, they would find them on the second floor of that barn. Not and, in the book, as okay. far as I know. Okay. And if you That's know a good story. anything about cows, they cannot climb stairs. Their knees are not formed in such a way for them to climb a series of steps it's impossible for them to do so so for for cattle to be grouped together huddled together on the second floor of a building uh is unexplainable uh so so those were things that both people that i spoke to corroborated um, and so just for anybody who's thinking okay maybe a group of college kids went out there to do a prank or you know something how much does a cow weigh about five six hundred pounds oh my goodness you know I'm, you're going to force me to use google while we're talking here <laughs> let's let's find out because 
average weight of a cow, a male adult bull is 2,400 oh. pounds and a female adult cow is 1,600 pounds. Okay. So I was underestimating a little bit. Now, even, even a five, 600 pound animal would be almost impossible for somebody to carry up those stairs. Yeah. Uh, but you're talking about a 2,000 pound uh, animal that's not going to go lightly. Uh, even yeah. sedated it's not going to be easy to take something to take one up up a, a, a flight of stairs let alone a group of them right yeah it's it's not something that something got the cows multiple cows at the exact same time from inside that that rectangular pin that they were in that rectangular corral from there to the second story of this building that's what does that yeah good question and what are the physics behind it i mean you know we can argue every day that the pyramids were built with pulleys and levers but let's talk about getting a cow up a flight of stairs <laughs> yeah yeah and so I, you know i don't know um the details of, of that incident but do they know how long it had been bef since the cows had been seen before they disappeared and then reappeared? Uh, no, no. Uh, from my understanding, it, uh, it occurred roughly just past dusk. Uh, they had heard some commotion. One witness said that they had heard some commotion and they went to go look at the pen. The other witness said that there was an alert on one of the motion sensors that they had had in place and they went to go look at the pen. Uh, when they got there, the amount of cows that, and I don't remember the number of cows that were in the lane, but the amount of cows that were in the lane in the pen uh, was lower than what it was supposed to be, and they searched for it, and then they found them on the second floor of the building. That's wild. Yeah. Now, that, and that's not the only incident where cows uh, had disappeared and reappeared in a weird location that there's absolutely no way they could have appeared. That I do remember from the reading in the book. Um, there was a, an incident where some bulls ended up inside of a trailer that was locked from the outside. <laughs> there's just no way really? that, yeah, that the bulls would have, you know, could have gotten into that thing because the, the way they were packed into the trailer was unnatural for for the bulls to be in there that way it's wow. not like somebody corralled them into that thing it's like they disappeared physically and reappeared or rematerialized inside that that trailer that's yeah that's there, a, there, there is something i don't know what it is i don't know who it is i don't know how it works but there is something at skinwalker that is i hate using the word but for all intents and purposes, it is paranormal. Yes. And it's possibly more than one thing because the experiments that they've ran to try to figure out what's going on there, uh, they've never been able to duplicate the results. And every time something happens, it's different. It's a different type of occurrence. Uh, so it's really hard for them to kind of do an experiment that's going to have repeat results. So it could yeah. be more than one, more than one type of phenomenon going on there. 
Yeah. And I've, I've heard from one of the witnesses that I spoke to, uh, one of the people that worked on the ranch, that the, the stories about the humanoids that turn into dogs or wolf-like creatures is not a one-off type of thing. It, it occurs a lot. Of course, as far as I'm concerned, if it occurs once, you know, that's significant. That's a lot. That's not something that, uh, that's not something that you're, you're going to discount statistically. It's, it's not something that's normal. So agreed. Yeah. And one time, okay. Yes. Maybe it could have been a hallucination imagination, but when you've got multiple witnesses yeah, that are seeing it, I mean, yes, there is a, a, a phenomenon called mass hysteria where people do imagine the same thing you know a group of people imagine the same thing but this happens like you said on an ongoing basis yeah and this this is something that that has always confused me a little bit and and i have not yet been the skinwalker but in all of the information that i'm digging up i haven't found credible and verifiable stories of things that happen outside the fence line of skinwalker and if you look at the skinwalker map it is not a a uh, it's not a square it's not a rectangle it's it's different different parcels that look like it have been put together over time and there are thin parts and thick parts to it but it's all within that basin so you would think that something outside the fence line in the uh in the ute basin in in the ute territory is going to have the similar uh similar behavior similar situations and similar witness viewings that you're going to have inside the fence line and uh the only thing that i can find are old ute passed down stories and and nothing that says hey back on april 28th we had x y and z happen it's it's all historical things that have been passed down through uh through indian tradition and in, in nothing that is recent yeah and part of that tradition is that some of those native americans from that area when they're passing near the the ranch itself they won't even look in the direction of the ranch for fear of something uh attaching themselves to them yeah um and yeah. and another Another thing is that a lot of those Native Americans won't even talk about the ranch. Yeah. And that's, you know, thank you for jogging my memory. Uh, a couple of the people that I've spoken with have told me that something went home with them. <laughs> yeah. And so far, I've not been able to, I've not been able to find any incident of somebody being injured off-site uh i've not been able to find any incident of anything being life-threatening or extremely detrimental to people that followed them home but people say that once they've lived or worked or visited skinwalker that their life isn't quite the same as it was uh things will disappear from their home and reappear later uh there will be 
light objects, objects made of light that make themselves visible inside people's homes. Um, there will be things that are witnessed to be moving that should not be moving, like pillows. So, and, and, and these, are, these are stories from people who have spent time on Skinwalker. I had this conversation with somebody uh, very recently, within a matter of days ago. And I was telling them, they, they were questioning me on my convictions on going to the ranch. And they were telling me that they had given their wife uh, the ejection seat switch and she could pull it at any point in time and tell them not to go. Uh, and they were, they were testing my convictions on, on my desire of going to the ranch. And I talked to this person for about an hour on the subject and because there have not been any known incidences of danger or damage or anything happening to children, a pillow might fly around or bed sheets may move or, or, uh, light beings may make themselves visible, but nobody's been injured. Nobody's been hurt, uh, because of that. And because I think that this is an informational precipice that we're sitting on top of and taking this sensor stack uh, that will be disclosed shortly, I'm, I'm sure, uh, taking the sensor stack to Skinwalker and measuring things and hopefully capturing images and, and contributing to the understanding of what's going on, I think that that outweighs the potential for discomfort. Now, if if there was a multitude of stories of people that go there and then come back and they wake up with claw marks on their back or, you know, they've got a bloody nose or an extracted tooth or something like that. I, no, I'm not going to go, but I've found no incidences of people being physically harmed after visiting the ranch. Now being on the ranch, different story though. On, on the ranch, different story. Yes. Yes, um, but physically harmed after being on the ranch, I, I have not yet found those stories. Well, that was spoken like a true explorer, man. And hats off to you for being one of those people willing to walk up to that precipice and look over into the abyss and see what's going on over there. I want to know, man. There is more to this life than waking up and punching a time clock and eating dinner. This that is existence that is not living and to live i think we have to understand the nature of life and we cannot understand the nature of life just by dissecting worms and studying frogs we we've got to look at all aspects of this man yes i agree well like i said hats off to you man and uh please please share whatever you've learn and whatever you're at liberty to share with anybody and everybody that you can share that with, because people do need to know. Yeah. It's one, and, thing, it's one thing for us to, to learn knowledge, um, you know, for our, for our own curiosity to say, satiate our curiosity sake, hmm. but it's, it's almost, hmm, 
it, it's it's almost a tragedy when people hoard that knowledge to themselves and don't share it with other people. Yep. Now there Good. there's there's reasons that it's necessary, like with the military keeping military secrets, you know, to, to protect our national security. But in this kind of situation, um, yeah, it, that information should be shared and it could facilitate. Uh, I think it might've been you that said this earlier. Um, a, uh, an awakening within humanity and help us get to another level. Yeah. There, there very well could be like, if you go back and you, you even just briefly glimpse at some of the old religious texts, the, the Hindu uh, spiritual guides and things like that. There is, there is an underlying idea that we are all individuals, but we are all equally the same thing. We are all connected in, in some sort of way. And if information can help humanity as a whole realize the same thought, um, imagine, imagine what can be accomplished if 7 billion of us hold the exact same truth. Yes. Yeah. Imagine, you know, what? and I think this is why people enjoy listening to you on podcasts because you, you pitch these ideas in a way that are plausible and in, in some ways it's pretty far out there from the mainstream thought process. You mean cows being teleported upstairs? <laughs> well, no, no. Um, like uh, the, the evolution of our, of our species through consciousness, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you talk on the level of a philosopher, but you've also got the, the, the physical experiences to back up what you're saying. Well, if, if, you, look at, if you look at humanity's history, we, we evolved to our present state. We evolved to our present physicality. Now that we are here, I don't biologists may disagree anthropologists anthropologists may disagree but i don't feel that as humans we are physically evolving much past this point now because we no longer need to because we have the ability to change our environment to match us instead of biology changing us to match our environment so that being said if that is held as a constant for the next X number of years, the only evolution that is left open to us is the evolution of our mind, the evolution of our consciousness, and not the evolution of our physicality. So another little rabbit hole or rabbit trail that um, I want to mention is I talked with Arthur Walker recently, and that episode is going to drop tomorrow, probably. Okay. He's the the individual that I would really like for you to talk with. And, you know, if I could be a fly on the wall during that conversation, that would be amazing. But um, you and he have similar views. He comes from a, a, a perspective of 
more uh, of a physics standpoint. Mm. And he's really heavily into quantum physics and artificial intelligence and stuff like that. Sure. But he talks about consciousness in a way that's really similar to what you're talking about. Um, and I think that there, there would be another interesting merging of two worlds uh, for you guys to talk. So I, I really hope that you guys have an opportunity to, to connect. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, think, I think that physics is directly tied to consciousness. I, quantum mechanics, quantum physics and consciousness, I don't think are separable. I think that, I think if string theory was ever proven to be an, an actual thing that you're going to come to an understanding and you, I mean us, humanity, is going to come to an understanding that folks that have out-of-body experiences and things like that are not necessarily having an out-of-body experience, but they're, they have understood, they have learned how to have an episode of non-linear perception. Because if we are all connected, if we are all part of the same thing, then we are able to pull in an information stream that had been previously blocked, that had been being filtered, that that our skin suit that we're wearing now has attuned itself to prevent that, that information stream from being registered. Um, but quantum mechanics, quantum physics, uh, quantum entanglement, uh, all of these ideas, all of these uh, sciences, I believe are going to come to a culmination where science proves consciousness and consciousness proves science. So jumping back onto the uh, paranormal horse, uh, did you have any other stories from your conversations with the folks out at Skinwalker that you could share? I have other stories, yes. Um, I need to mentally go through them to see if it's something that I can share or not. I do know, and I don't know if this is public knowledge or not, but I do know that one of those wolf creatures was apparently shot. Okay, that was in the book. Okay, okay. Um, in fact, that was how the book started. There was a rancher who owned the ranch prior to Bigelow. Mm -hmm. This wolf walked up to him on the first day that he moved onto the ranch, walked up to his, uh, his him and his family, seemed very friendly but it was it stood about uh six foot high at the shoulders is that the 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 story you're talking about yeah, yeah. and it took like three different guns to actually blow yeah. a chunk of meat out of it yeah exactly yeah that's that's the story from in the book okay. so but you spoke to somebody who had firsthand knowledge of of that uh experience they claim to have had. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I, I know there's, there's only a handful of people who actually eyewitnessed that account. Um, but in the uh, investigation after that, uh, the, you know, I think George Knapp interviewed the, um, the, the rancher, uh, I think uh, maybe Colm Kelleher was also involved in that um, in that interview, but uh, 
there's probably only a, a handful of other people who have heard that firsthand account firsthand. Yeah. So yeah. that's interesting. That's it, good. It is weird. And the whole idea of Skinwalker perplexes me as well, because this can't be the only place on earth that this happens. If it is the only place on earth that this happens, there's got to be something under the dirt, something unnatural, something artificial under the dirt. But I, I cannot believe, I cannot, I cannot come to the conclusion that Skinwalker Ranch is the one and only, that there has to be other places. There has to be other places in the United States. There has to be places in Canada and South America, all over the, the world that has these types of events occurring. Um, I mean, let's just pause it for a moment that this is a, a portal of some kind. You know, even if we go to a shopping mall, we've got elevators in all corners, you know, if, if this is a portal to arrive and, and to leave this planet or this realm or whatever this is, there's got to be more than one. Agreed. And to my knowledge, there is at least one other, possibly two other, that are in Arizona. One of them is a ranch. Um, I think it's to the southwest of phoenix uh there's a ranch down there now the owner of that property has some pretty outlandish tales of battling aliens Wait, it's a, a back up for five seconds battling aliens like yes are we, are we talking gun shootouts are we talking hand-to-hand -hand combat what are, what are we talking here all of the above and he's killed multiple of these entities with a samurai sword. <laughs> I know. I know. But okay, it does sound far out there, right? Pe peyote comes from Arizona too, right? <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, there, there's no physical evidence that this is, you know, that any of this has ever happened. He's never wiped a samurai sword with a handkerchief and taken it to a mass spectrometer? No. His, his uh, account of this happening is whenever he's killed one of these things, they disappear. They, they cease to exist in this reality. So, you know, I mean, the skeptical mind is going to say, yes, okay, that's a, that's a nice, clean way to, to protect your story from skepticism. Who's the aggressor in these stories? The aliens. And how are they aggressive? Well, they've attacked his wife and tried to abduct her. Um, there, oh, he's he's also said that there is one or more portals on the property where these creatures come through, and he's witnessed them coming through. Um, they, yeah, there there was one incident where they tried to take his wife up into a craft through the ceiling of, of his house. It, it was like the ceiling was transparent and they were trying to carry her out through the ceiling into their craft. He broke out his 
machine gun. I don't know what kind of machine gun it was. He started shooting at him and the bullets all started ricocheting around his, his house. And he said that was the last time he ever used, he used firearms against them. And that's when he switched to using a, a samurai sword. So he's had, he's had paranormal investigators come to his house. Um, he's had people that uh, like writers that wanted to document his story have gone to his house and almost all of them have experienced some weirdness and several of them couldn't even stay the night there because of how weird the place was. How the hell have I not heard of this? <laughs> I'll send you some links about it because it is a fascinating story. I am a little hard pressed to believe it, well, but, but I to mean, hear the guy talk, he sounds very level-headed. He sounds I mean, like one of those people that you could believe. Of all the people in the world to sit down and have a beer with, a guy that fights aliens with a samurai sword <laughs> is the guy yeah. I want to have during that dinner. That That's incredible stuff. Yeah, and I just, for sure. Uh, I, so, yeah, I've thought about reaching out to him just to come on the podcast, but uh, I know he's in the middle right now of finishing, either finishing a book or trying to get the rights sold to a production company for movie for a movie. So, uh, yeah. okay. Now, now he's probably going to hate me. And if, if I get killed in the street by a samurai sword, <laughs> because of this conversation, man, okay. um, me being in this world now, having my own experience that was, that was broadcast across the planet on that TV show. Um, and the, the people that I am now associated with, I have no doubt, no doubt that something is occurring. But when you claim to fight aliens with a samurai sword and in the same sentence are looking to capitalize on this through a movie production, the, the, the red flags are going off uh, left and right. I mean, you got Skinwalker. We've got multiple witnesses that claim similar stories. We have physical evidence that is left behind. We have people that are being injured in medical reports that are documenting these injuries. And there are significant photographs and evidence and, and uh, physical evidence that are captured and, and safeguarded of everything from cattle mutilations to radiation readings to things like that. And then we've got a guy that claims to have fought aliens with a samurai sword, but there is no physical evidence whatsoever. I've, I've got to take that one with a small grain of salt. Okay. Another, another little caveat to that is he is trying to sell the ranch because he's, his story is that he wants to get away from there because of the, um, you know, the, the threat to his life and his wife. <clears throat> and there's a ticket price on the ranch for $5 million. So it does seem like there is a little bit to, you know, it's hard for me to, to, to be this skeptical, but yeah, it does seem like he, there's a little bit of an agenda for making money off of this story. Yeah. I, and, it doesn't mean that it's not true. It, it, it just not, means that 
you know, somebody has uh, an agenda that's outside of making this knowledge public. Yeah, this is not a disclosure process. This is a, if it is real, he's capitalizing on something in a way that, in my opinion, doesn't need to be capitalized on for the betterment of humanity. Right. Uh, information, and especially this kind of information, should not be bought or sold. He's done several interviews where he's uh, re relayed his story about the fighting the aliens and that kind of stuff it's an interesting story and if the dude is just making stories up he's got a heck of an imagination so yeah dig into that man and uh maybe maybe you and i could bring him on dead hand radio and have a three-way discussion with him as well at some point that would be super interesting yeah would... we can even we can even tip back a few beers while we're doing it <laughs> i mean Let's let's just talk. I mean, where did the guy get training to fight with a sword? Oh, good question. I have no idea. I maybe mean, he studies martial arts. You know, maybe. maybe. I mean, I I took martial arts and I never learned how to fight with a sword. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Th that would be an interesting conversation. That would be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, but to hear him speak, he does seem level-headed. He doesn't sound like he's trying to make the stuff up. So you just have to hear his story for yourself before you pass any kind of judgment on it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that because places like Skinwalker Ranch are known to exist, and I don't think that there's anybody out there that can reasonably disprove and debunk Skinwalker as, as a whole. I think that because Skinwalker exists, that we have to, we have to look at this individual's ranch as potentially existing as well and you know we, we, there are so many stories there are so many anecdotes that that say that these beings have the ability to shift our perception of reality and maybe maybe what this individual is seeing is not what's happening but it is what he's seeing yeah, that's a good point. And that's a that's a very not a very well known uh piece of this whole puzzle, I think what you just mentioned is that uh these craft or the beings themselves within the craft wh whatever it is it's believed and there may be some evidence that we're not privy to that supports the theory that these beings can manipulate our reality and show us what they want us to see. Well, I had a very interesting conversation with Tim McMillan about a week or so ago. And uh, I don't know if you want to give your viewers a, or listeners a, a, a backstory on, on who Tim McMillan is, if they don't know. Um, if you want to do that, then I'll, then I'll continue with the story. Uh, well, no, actually, Tim McMillan is uh, I think he's pretty well known within the UFO community. And if you don't know who he is, just Google Lieutenant Tim McMillan, um, yeah. you know, look him up on Twitter and follow along with what he's, he writes for popular mechanics. And I think he um, has had some other stories published in the drive. Uh, not, not hundred percent sure about that, but I know popular mechanics has published several of his stories. Yep. 
and uh, he he's he's in with TTSA. Uh, yeah, not, he's, not, he's so a fantastic part. researcher. Yeah, a very very detailed researcher. Um, but I had reached out to him uh, to see if he would be able to help dig up information on my deployment and where I was and, and things like that. Uh, and and he did uh, very quickly, which was impressive. But far out, man. Yeah, but, we talked about that. We talked a little bit about that yeah. when when you and I spoke. Yeah. So he was able to find some stuff on that. He was able to find some stuff on where I was, identified the air base that I didn't even know where I was, and pieced together pieced together an outline of the operation from incept to descent to uh, to finish, uh, and and filled in a lot of gaps that I didn't even know I had. It was. I was impressed, but when Tim and I were talking in, in you, we were talking to you and I were just now talking about the, uh, the perception and the, uh, the ability to change our perception of reality. I think it's a pretty well-known fact. And Tim brought this up that I don't know how many thousands of years ago, if it was not tens of thousands of years ago, but humans uh, in, in general, were not even able to perceive the color blue. Uh, our, oh, I have heard that. Yeah, yeah, I have heard that. So we would look at the color blue, and I don't know if our brains would would see blue and call it something else, or if we would see a gray or a black or something. But but apparently, and I don't know how we've come to this conclusion, just accept this as fact for the purposes of the story, that humanity was unable to perceive the color blue. So if that's the case, and if that is proven, there are probably a lot of things inside our current reality that we are not perceiving. Doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means that there is, there is some sort of filter that is preventing a, a visual stimulant from being registered and being interpreted. So I don't know, maybe craft don't need a cloaking device. Maybe it's just that we can't see them. Um, and maybe certain people uh, have either uh, a mutated gene or uh, uh, developed another gene that allows them to see the color blue. But in this case, it, it might be uh, whatever we're, we're not able to, uh, to see generally. And we expanded on that. We were talking about the, uh, the interest level of, of the phenomena and the nuclear devices and, and things like that. And, we even, we even expanded on the idea that maybe the reason, maybe one of the reasons that we've not been contacted uh, as humanity is that the aliens or the entities, they don't perceive us. Maybe they perceive the nuke. Maybe they perceive the explosion, the radiation, because that's where they come from. But as a carbon-based life form, maybe they don't have the ability to perceive us. So that's, that's a possibility, but for this guy in, in his ranch, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the, uh, the entities are shaping his reality or opening, opening his understanding of our reality. It's, you know, I'm not going to discredit the guy. I don't particularly care for the way that he's approaching it, uh, you know, capitalizing on, on the sale of information, but. Yeah. Well, the, um, 
the information is out there for anybody who wants to to hear it and he'll tell his story to anybody who wants to talk to him about it as far as i know um but i mean if somebody came to you and offered you millions of dollars to make a movie out of your story are you just you know you're gonna say no probably not yeah probably not but but i have also told my story in multiple different ways and and so that all of your listeners know i don't get paid to get on these podcasts i've i've never received a dime i didn't get paid to go on the history channel show um they paid for my flight and they paid for my hotel room and they bought me a decent steak but uh, outside of that i've not received a dime from any of this and and not intending to yeah well that's um that's because your journey is one of curiosity not of profit um that lends a lot more to your credibility as well. So, yeah, I, just, I, I think that people, people may not be able to handle what the truth is written to be, but I think they deserve the opportunity to try. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely re, uh, deserve the opportunity for sure. Um, so any, any more stories from Skinwalker Ranch that you can share? Not from Skinwalker, no. Okay. I, I think I need to tap dance around that until I have permission to, to speak. Okay. Well, the keyword you said right there is tap. So you're going to tap out on Skinwalker questions about Skinwalker. So we'll move on. Um, now, you, you mentioned in our pre-conversation that you had some kind of weird... Uh, something that you you're not really sure about happened as a child do you want to share that experience sure and and let me prefix this by saying i don't want people to view me as a ufo uap uh, experiencer that has a history of this weirdness um my story that i came forward with on the on the history channel is the only incident that I have ever had in that realm. Uh, I don't manifest orbs. I don't routinely see UFOs. I don't have weird things that happen to me. I swear to God, I put my keys on the coffee table and they end up on the kitchen counter, but that's just my brain picking a trick, playing a trick on me. And that's the extent of my involvement in the weirdness. But when I was a child, there was, there was, a creepy thing that that occurred that has stuck with me and and uh i've i've always wondered what the hell it was and what could it have been and if it's tied to anything else or if it was just my imagination um but yeah i've i've got a ghost story so and i will um i'll piggyback on your disclaimer about you know you don't want to be labeled as as somebody who has a history of trying to get attention by sharing these type of stories by saying, I came to you and, and approached you about sharing a story of this nature. You didn't come to me about it. Let's just hear the story and we'll, we'll leave it at that. How's that? Sure. Sure. So this would have occurred 
probably late 1970s. I was born in 71. So probably when I was six to eight years old uh, in, in West Virginia. And it happened in a little tiny town population at that time, probably 4,000 people. And my family, my grandparents have owned a farmhouse in West Virginia that has been in our family for well over 130 years. Before it was brought into our family 130 years ago, it was actually a boarding house in the town before the town was a town. And then it was torn down uh, stone by stone and slat by slat and reassembled on the property that sits on now. And it's been on that property for probably 140 years. Uh, and we've owned it in, in one way, shape or form for over 130 years. And it sits on roughly 60 acres now, which back then was probably closer to three or 400 acres and, and parcels and plots have been sold off. Uh, but it's, it's where I go when I go home. Uh, and I, I basically grew up in that house. And uh, in the late 1970s, we had had a couple homes couple houses that uh, that we owned and at that time we were actually living in town and that building that house was being renovated and uh, we decided to live out there for a few months i think it was a few months uh, during the renovations and my bedroom was on the second floor of this house now you you have to you have to picture this house in your head. This was not something that looked like an old colonial. It, it was not anything fancy. It looked like, it looked like one of those houses that you could have bought from the Sears and Roebuck catalog back in the mid 1800s. They would deliver the boards to you and you would erect your own home. It was, it was that kind of farmhouse. It was a very utilitarian, you know, bedroom, kitchen, dining room, outhouse, uh, no running water kind of farmhouse. And the room that I stayed in, again, was, was on the second floor. Uh, I don't remember if the window was facing north, south, east, or west. I don't know the cardinal directions out there. But I slept in a brass bed, a big brass bed with, you know, grandmother's uh, feather-stuffed mattress type of, type of thing. And the paneling, it was that old T-111 paneling throughout the whole room where it looked like the wood grain type of stuff. Well, it was wood grain. Um, and it still had gas lamps. There was, there was electricity, but there was a functional gas lamp in the room. And I remember it was winter time, or at least early winter. I don't know if it had started to snow yet. And this is, this is important because my grandfather, who I lived with, my grandfather, my grandmother, my grandfather was very meticulous about preparing the house for winter. And the house would have these old plastic on every single window in every single room of the house. They were old plastic curtains with some really ugly floral pattern uh, printed on them. But the curtains would have these 
these little washers on the bottom of the curtains that they used for weights that would hold the curtains down and keep the wrinkles out of them and keep the curtains from blowing around in, in what was really poorly sealed windows. But my grandfather was very, very meticulous about every single winter going through the entire house and caulking up the windows and then putting the plastic shrink wrap around each window and insulating the house as much as humanly possible because you know the the pink panther insulation did not exist when this house was built and to my knowledge it did not have any of it it had tar shingles on the outside of the house not just on the roof but on the outside walls um so my bed would have been on the opposite side of the single solitary window in this room and my head would have been on the opposite side of, of the window. So if I had sat up, I would have been able to sit up and look directly through the one window coming into this room. And so you would have had the window. You would have had the plastic insulation that my grandfather had put up the shrink wrap on the window. Then you would have had the plastic curtain. Then in front of the plastic curtain would have been like an end table, a nightstand type of thing that was just something to place uh, an old water pitcher on. And it may be, it may have stood two to two and a half feet tall and uh, didn't have anything on it at the time. It looked like it was an old hand carved table, prob probably as old as the house. And I remember one day, one night, um, and like I said, I was probably seven or eight years old. Something in the middle of the night woke me up. And I don't know if it was a noise, if it was a wind movement, if it was a feeling, but I woke up and I sat straight up in bed and I looked out the window and the curtains were mostly closed. There was probably a six to eight inch gap in the middle of the two sheets of plastic curtains. And remember, there's this, <clears throat> excuse me, there's this end table that's just about touching the curtain. So there may have been six inches of space in total between the shrink wrap, the curtain, and the end table. Not wide enough for any body to, to get inside of. And I remember looking up, and it was dark. It was dark in the room, but there was starlight or, or something coming through the window to be able to allow me to see what I saw. In between the nightstand and the curtain, I saw a two-dimensional silhouette and the silhouette had what appeared to be a head appeared to be shoulders and appeared to be a torso and it was between the end table and the curtains and this is this is where the hair on my arm starts standing up every time i i got goosebumps right now this this shape was only a few inches taller than this end table and it would do this it would peer out one side and look at me and then it would duck back in and it would peer out the other side and look at me and it would just do this three or four times like it was staring right at me but it had there was no features to a face it was just the silhouette of a head it was just the silhouette of a shoulder i saw no arms i saw no legs it was just you know, kind of doing that weird little dance where it would peer out one side and then look at me for a few seconds and then duck in and, and, and look at me from the other side of the nightstand. I remember vividly pulling, pulling my comforter 
back over my head and laying down in the bed and grabbing hold of the brass rails that were on the headboard of the bed and just freezing in that position until the sun came up. And to, to this day, I have no explanation for what the hell that was. That is a creepy story. And so the, the being or the creature entity, whatever it was that you were describing was, did you say it was maybe about two feet tall? The, uh, the end table itself was probably about two, two and a half feet tall. And this was maybe, maybe a head's length taller than the end table. Ah, okay. So, uh, now it, it creeped me out, man. Can I, we do a little Q and a, yeah. So don't, don't read anything into this. Cause this is just my curiosity trying to get uh, satisfaction. Sure. Um, you're familiar with the uh, the um, the shape and the form of what the grays are supposed to look like, right? The, yeah. the aliens, the grays. Mm -hmm. uh, did it resemble something like that? No. Long, long skinny neck? No. Okay. Uh, I, well, I don't remember the shape of the neck. Okay. All I remember is it appeared to me to be two-dimensional it did not seem to have any depth to it whatsoever it was as if there was a shadow in space with nothing for the shadow to be actually on it was because it was it was existing in a six inch gap of space between the curtain and between the night and the curtains were not moving they were dead still and I remember that because of the weights in that curtain and I it was rational. This is the mind of a seven-year-old trying to process what happened. And, you know, you, uh, even a seven-year-old can't fit in a six-inch gap. Yeah. So this thing was either three inches wide or it was not wide at all. And it was just width and height and no, no depth to it. So it, it did not in any way disturb the environment around it. So the curtains weren't moving. You didn't feel any type of like a, a, a cold air or anything like that coming so, from. Something woke me up and I don't remember what it was that woke me up. I, I don't know if it was a noise, if it was a coldness, if it was just my brain saying, Hey, get up. Uh, I, I don't know, but it, when I was observing it, I do not remember it having any effect on the environment whatsoever. Uh, and it, uh, to your recollection, you didn't see any arms or legs. It was just a head and a torso. Yeah, just a head and a torso. I don't remember any appendages at all. It was almost as if it was, you know, it had, it. if it had arms, its arms would have been pressed up like your hands are down the, down the side of your torso. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see any legs because there was a nightstand there. Did you tell anybody about it? I mean, the next morning when you woke up, did you talk to your grandparents about it? No, not at first. I, I held on to that um, for, for quite a while. Um, now, later in life, probably when I was 15, 16, 18 years old, I was talking to my grandmother and I mentioned it and uh, 
she had told me that there was there was at least one child that had died on the property from tuberculosis uh, way back in the day and was actually buried on the property, uh, probably about 150 yards uh, behind the house, close to one of the barns um, in an unmarked grave, oddly enough. Um, but I don't know. Wow. And did she uh, relay her uh, having any experiences herself or, or your grandfather have any experiences like that ever? Wow. She, if, even if she has had them, she is not the type to have said anything about it. Mm. Wow. Yeah. You know, just, just imagining what you were telling me, uh, I, I'm shaking my head. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know, know people can't see my head shaking, but my head is freaking shaking because, uh, I don't even know how I would react. Yeah. I think probably the same as you, man, I would hit under my covers and hung on for dear life in case the thing tried to grab me and take me away. Yeah. And, and you got to remember like, you know, this is, this is the late 1970s. I'm seven or eight years old. I have not seen scary movies because I grew up with my grandparents. So I've never watched anything except maybe Scooby-Doo's ghost tales and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not expecting Freddy Krueger. I'm not expecting uh, Jason or anything like that to come after me because my brain has never been exposed to anything like that. Um, I'd seen Star Wars by that time and that was pretty much it. And and I had no basis of reference, no frame of reference for any of this. What what I saw was a two-dimensional, small humanoid shape with no arms or visible legs that was peering in from one side of the nightstand and then ducking back in and peering out from the other side. And after five or six incidents of, of watching it go in and out, I, I guess I just said I'd had enough and I pulled the covers up over top of me and pretend it wasn't there you can answer this or not but what do you think it was i have no idea if you were pressed for uh, an answer what what could it have been it had a humanoid shape so it's something that is either identifiable to us or by us or wants to identify with us um whether it's a ghost i don't know i don't necessarily believe in ghosts uh whether it's i i okay we're gonna I have don't. to cancel this episode now because this <laughs> this <laughs> it's a halloween special man <laughs> Just because I don't believe in ghosts doesn't mean I don't believe in creepy things that exist. I'll t I, I will agree that that is a creepy being, whatever it was. It's and the it was, behavior of it alone is creepy. And it was dark. I mean, darker than the darkest dark that you can you can imagine. There was, it was just dark, like like Vanta black dark. It was like looking into a hole that just had no end to it. It was. That's wild. It was. Yeah. And, and because you said the room was, was lit up from the, the outside ambient light, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so this creature obviously had, was not reflecting any, any of that light. No. In any way. It and was just. Nothing a, was coming through it. 
nothing was there was no aura there was no glow there was no little That's sparkle weird. around it it was it was just it was a void a a two-dimensional humanoid shape of a void hmm. i guess we could sit here and pick our brains for the rest of the day trying to figure out what that thing was but uh the reality of it is we will probably never know yeah and, and, I've, and i've never seen anything like that since then yeah that's wild now you know some people believe that children are more open to to seeing those things like you said before we don't have the ability to see certain things because of some kind of a filter whether that's a, a mental block or our our eyes don't see into that spectrum but uh it's believed that children are are more able to see those type of things children and dogs well yeah yeah and uh, and um so it seems like you were allowed to peek through the veil at that early part of your life. Do you think in any way it could be related to your experience in the desert? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think one thing that I saw was when I was seven or eight and I have no rational explanation for it. The other thing that I saw is when I was, you know, 24, 25 years old, and I saw it through technology. I saw it as technology. I saw it uh, with with a cause and a purpose. And I don't I don't think those two things have anything to do with each other. Okay. But what if they made themselves visible to you? They, <laughs> whatever, whatever it was. You know, and we won't go down that that road of what it is because you you know you already said you don't know. But what if something made itself visible to you at that early age, and then, well, that's a far stretch, man. Even for me, <laughs> yeah, that's a far stretch. I, no, I know where you're going with that. It would have had to have manipulated deployment orders. It would have yeah. had to have gotten me to Jordan. It would have had to have gotten me on night shift. Well, you unless know, it was unless it was following you and not the nuke. Jesus Christ, please tell me no. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and the fact that you had not thought of that yourself. Uh, yeah. It makes your story even more believable because you're not going down the path of, you know, they're singling me out and following me around for my entire life. No, because I've done some shit that I don't even want the aliens to see. <laughs> Well, <laughs> crawling up. I mean, you, the world knows you oh. crawled around on top of a possible nuclear warhead. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've not been the most cautious in my approach to life, yeah. I guess. So. Yeah. Wow. That's a fascinating story, Jeremy. Man, thank you for sharing that. And, you know. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Right. <laughs> uh, that's a good one, man. Um so why don't we leave it there? Uh, you and I have some a lot of following up to do, but we'll do that on future episodes. But uh, was there anything else you wanted to to talk about or, or say about that incident? No, no. Other than the fact that to this day, man, I have I got no explanation, no explanation. And the feeling, the weird feeling that I get when I talk about it, it still happens every single time. Yeah. And I saw that on the video. You showed me the hair on your arms 
was that attention, man. Yeah. It, it still creeps me. And it's weird because there's, there's actually nothing scary about it. There, I mean, there was no growling. There was no big, gnashy, pointy teeth. There was no red glowing eyes. It was just a silhouette of something that you could equate to some weird dance, you know, and, and describing it, it, it's not something that's scary, but it, it gives me the willies. Oh, okay. I, I think the behavior was a measure of awareness for you itself and curiosity about you, which in itself is a, a creepy thought. It had an interest in you specifically. Uh, and that's why it was bobbing in and out and, you know, looking and in, inspecting or investigating what, what you are um, because it noticed you. And that's what's creepy about it. Yeah. So if it noticed me, thank you. Because now if I go to Skinwalker, <laughs> yeah. yay me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're waiting for you there. Yeah. Do no. not be deterred, my friend. You are on a mission. Uh, I hope they have the lottery numbers. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that, that would creep out. So do you, um, I mean, one more question about that. And did, did you have any recollection of thinking or feeling that this thing had any kind of ill intent towards you? Was I it? I was scared, but I don't know why I was scared. Okay. That's fair enough. Great story, Jeremy. Again, thank you for sharing that. Um, so yeah, with that, man, I, I'm going to let you go. And until next time, Jeremy, thank you for joining me on Dead Hand Radio. Thank you. And, and again, happy Halloween. Thank you, man. Happy Halloween. <laughs>